Welcome back again hey. to Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice. I'm That's, Catherine Rubino. And we are editors at Above the Law, and this is our weekly roundup of some of the top legal stories that we've covered for the week. We normally are joined by Chris, but he's not here, so it's just us talking about the law this Great. week. Yeah, you know, <laughs> exciting. It's, it's kind of old school-ish. Old school well, I'm not old school enough. Like it, I shouldn't say enough. Not not fully old school because it's not Ellie. It's you know, sure, but who was you the know. original host with me? But he's know. moved on to greener pastures. One might he say. Has yeah. So how was your weekend? Yeah, that's right. It's there small talk time. Small talk. Uh, yeah, no, I it was it was reasonably uneventful. There was a lot of forecast of snow that didn't really materialize and then now that there wasn't really a forecast of snow there's a bunch of snow so yeah. well that's yeah. good times you're gonna get your shovel ready i guess Ugh. yeah <laughs> good times yeah i launched myself into a massive closet reorganization bold yes yes and i almost immediately regretted it um mm -hmm. It turns out I have a lot of clothes, particularly a lot of T-shirts, and okay. I don't really wear T-shirts. So then you shouldn't it's have that many. Baffling that I have acquired so many T-shirts. Yeah, no, that uh, that could be an issue for you. Yeah, I really have to figure out my T-shirt organization system. I don't really have a great answer at the moment, but uh, it is definitely weighing on my mind. Well, I mean, I think we all. We all wish you the best with your... You know, you'd be surprised how much a well-organized closet really gets you into a good mindset to organize the rest of your life. Okay. Well, I mean... And we are all hoping you can organize the rest of your life soon. Uh, <laughs> You're such a jerk. No, I'm saying... Oh, See, I was you expressing... Like, you pretended right oh, there like you were supportive, but you yeah. are not. Let's okay. be very clear here what's going on. You have no evidence of that. I think we all heard it. Anyway, so yeah, that's a decent amount of small talk, is it not? Well, I know you think so. I mean, whatever. I, you it, barely like the small talk segment. You just know it's weird to jump right in, but you kind of hate this human interaction moment. Sort of. You know, back in the day, it was always just this is the part where Ellie would complain about something. And, he used to you know, grind his gears. Right. And now that, now that we don't have that, I felt like we needed to have some kind of an introductory well, can I, thing. I, I'm very annoyed by the amount of t-shirts I seem to have acquired. Right, and that seems and to be- And I don't be... know where, well, I, I don't really know where they all came from. I don't Ooh. think I've purchased that many t-shirts, because again, I don't really wear t-shirts. Right, well, I mean, you get them for free from things. I mean, that's, and that's, that's what becomes the problem, right? Because then it's, oh, it was, you know, from so-and-so gave me this shirt for this event, or I have a friend who likes to make t-shirts uh -huh. uh, for different sporting events. And right. so I have a bunch of t-shirts that are specific to different March Madness years. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, I can't get rid of that. That, you know, so-and-so made it for me, or I can't get well, rid of this t-shirt because it's from a certain debate tournament, and I don't want to get rid of that. And so this is how one winds up with hundreds of t-shirts and maybe wears one or two a month. Mm. I guess I sleep in some, but like, I mean, as an actual like wearing thing, I, I'm not a t-shirt person. Okay. Wow. <laughs> 
that was you um, hate human interaction. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, yeah. That's fair. Uh, yeah. No. We're um, talking about AI now or something like is that? I mean, obviously, <laughs> obviously, there's a lot to talk about in the AI world. Actually, mm. that that is a thing. It's not really on our agenda, but it is. It is an interesting world right now, and uh, people are talking about it, and we're not necessarily in a position to weigh in right now one way or the other on the discussion, but there is a lot going on with this do not pays bid to have right. uh, AI argue a traffic ticket coming up this, you know, in the in the near future. Uh, it's really making some headlines. You know, it's going to be interesting. I don't, <laughs> like, the, people are complaining and raising questions about how it's being done, but I think... Mm. All of those are kind of secondary to the question of, you know, what happens here and whether or not... We mean, like, whether or not it successfully argues it? Okay. Yeah. You know, it is... uh, I mean, it seems like this is not a great forum if they're going to measure the success of the program based on whether or not it wins, because it feels like traffic court is not... It's usually stacked against you. Right. See, uh, well, and to be fair, they... For this particular program, it's it's historically been used for the purpose of fighting traffic tickets, mm-hmm. and it does that not not in court, but it it does things to it, it understands that body of law and does what it needs to do to try and get you out of it before you need to go to court. So this is going to be a different thing. I, I guess technically we don't know as though it's traffic court, but I mean, I we it, it pretty much Surely has suspect. likelihood given that that's what this uh, what it has historically done. Well, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, well, I'm sure you'll be updating us mm-hmm. on all of the breaking news for yeah, yeah, legal no, AI. Right. Yeah, is that what they call it? Like AI that's specific? Like I know it's like legal tech, but is it like legal AI or is it just AI that has a legal functionality? It's AI with a legal functionality. It's not like one of the weird things when you talk to these folks is it's not like there's a ton of different AIs out there. A lot, almost, almost everybody's using the same body algorithm like, at right. the bottom of it, and they're just kind of playing around Giving the it edges. different data to yeah. crunch on. Yeah. Now, the the new talk of the year is going to be this chat GPT stuff. I'm already, now. like, over chat GPT. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I mean... You know, well, you know um, David Latt plugged into chat GPT a instruction to have it complain about the Supreme Court like it was Ellie Mistal, and that was, <laughs> that was uncanny. So, now, there's some old-school ATL content that right was, there. That was kind of fun. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, that I think should be the end of this. Small talk. So that we can go on to another topic. Sure. Hey, is hey. anything going on with the Supreme Court last week? <laughs> yeah. Well, kind of not really is right. what it comes, comes down to. As many people know, the marshal of the Supreme Court issued their final report about the Dobbs leak. Mm-hmm. The, they know nothing, Jon Snow. Ooh, wow. That's a pop culture reference from like 10 years ago. Well done. Wow. <laughs> that was Why uh, there was no, be like there that, was no reason to be mean like that. No, there, there no, really wasn't. No, it's just your heart is cold. It's yeah. like made out of coal and it's black and here we are. Fair enough. Anyway, yeah, no. So <laughs> so the marshal of the Supreme jerk. Court has no idea who did the leak, which is what we all expected the answer to be because they mm-hmm. seized everybody on the staff's phone and did this deep probing dive and uh, several months ago rejected any all any and all overtures of actual law enforcement organizations like the FBI to help out with this investigation. 
and then didn't have an answer for several months, which led us all to conclude that there was not going to be any serious answer. In some ways, I'm almost surprised that this report even came out. I think if the answer was, oh, it it was okay to just leave it as like ongoing. So, yeah. So we reported on this when it first came out. And then uh, the next day we did a kind of a deeper dive into exactly what's in the report, which I would encourage folks to read because there's a lot of media report about it at a 10,000 foot level. But we kind of went into some of the paragraphs uh, and I looked at it largely from my experience doing white collar work Mm -hmm. because I've looked at a lot of internal investigations in my life uh, and the reports that come out of them. And this one was amazingly clumsy. Uh, it, it just it just in that it it was actually a very, it seemed to be a very thorough and well done investigation mm-hmm. given the parameters of the investigation, which the report lays out and which with any scrutiny whatsoever, you notice the parameters are set such that there was never going to be the answer that is most likely. And and that's because the justices were not included amongst the affidavits they collected or the formal interviews that they did. And certainly not any anybody else that was associated or perhaps in the same household as a Supreme Court justice. Right. It, it, it was weird. It was almost as though the chief wanted a investigation to find out that it was a staff member and not a justice. And then when they found out it was not a staff member, they just shrugged as opposed to realize what this report actually does is make it almost 100% positive that it was one of the justices, one of two of them, most likely. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and who I are think it's very fair to say those camps as opposed mm-hmm. to specific individuals, but I think somebody certainly closely associated with Thomas or Alito are going very high up in our probability ranking. Right. I think it's even if the two of them, either of them are not the ones who did it, the the likelihood that they are the vector by which it happened, I think it's probably a more fair way of saying it. And and it also kind of, it's very cynical. I think when you read this and really start thinking about how it was put together, I think you get a very cynical view of what the court is like right now. But let's be very clear. John Roberts would have been perfectly happy stringing up some law clerk oh, who yeah. did the exact same thing his actual colleague on the court likely did. Yeah. Well, I mean, when this is the this is the issue with it. Uh, and when we say likely did, mm-hmm. remember, we're, we're only a couple months removed of one of the justices being credibly accused by a dude who used to hang out with him of leaking prior opinions. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sparked an investigation that amounted to 10 seconds of saying, hey, did you do this? No. And then that cool. was their conclusion. Yeah. Given that that is out there, this report is all the more damning because a report that then doesn't include the justices after being thorough and vetted as being mm-hmm. as being a proper investigation within the parameters that were given pointing the finger at the justices uh makes everything even worse you know on that note i'll say this report didn't didn't end the discussion right. uh, as soon as it came out several people including us pointed out that hey a it looks mildly like- <laughs> mild amount of scrutiny would suggest hey, maybe they didn't even bother talking to the justices, which prompted in what a move that I characterized as uh, trying to dig yourself out of a hole. Uh, <laughs> the marshal released a statement indicating that I did talk to the justices, except the statement 
which was only a few sentences long, reads, people are suggesting, reads, I'm paraphrasing here, people are suggesting I didn't talk to the justices. That's not true. I did talk to justices about the investigation, full stop. I then didn't ask for affidavits or anything about them as part of the investigation, which it's so clumsy. When things get hyper-specific like that, it mm -hmm. actually kind of becomes clumsy because what you're saying is, well, they said I didn't talk to them, as in didn't investigate them, but I did, full stop, but I did speak with them about the fact there was an investigation, full stop, and then I didn't do any of the actual investigative stuff. It makes it, it get, it's designed to give the impression that, well, yes, of course I did talk to them too, but it doesn't actually say that. It mm -hmm. is very precisely written to suggest, no, I didn't actually investigate them or talk about them in that way. I just kind of casually mentioned it was an investigation or had that, that kind of conversation at some point. I mean, to me, the, the third part of that statement is actually the most damning because even if there was real probing sort of questions lobbied towards the justices at any point, they still, the, the marshal still was like, but we're not going to put you through the rigors that we are asking everyone else to do. No one, no justice had to go through the indignity of having their uh, cell phone records looked at or having their text messages looked at. They didn't have to go. They didn't have to sign anything under threat mm -hmm. of perjury. They didn't have to do any of that. Every law clerk did. Right. A bunch of permanent employees did. Right. But not the justices. They're too good for for an actual investigation into what they say is one of the worst crimes against the Supreme Court. Right, which is which is a exactly how the Hobby Lobby leak mm -hmm. allegations were resolved by doing nothing. And, you know, it's been pointed out before there have been leaks from the Supreme Court before and the justices have always turned out to be the actual vector. <laughs> uh, so, you know, adding two and two together. Yeah. seems to be too hard for the court. Anyway, they there was but your to your point about how the indignities are piling up, there was this deep dive uh that the New York Times posted mm -hmm. uh that Jody Cantor worked on that where speaking with bunches of current and former employees of the court and it seems as though no one over there is feeling very good about this. Yeah. Actually, there's a lot of resentment. Uh, it has caused a lot more fractures within the court, uh, the way this has gone down. And, you know, it just, it's one of those situations where it was better to do nothing uh, than this. Yeah. Uh, like, it, I'm not saying that as a normative statement. I'm saying that as a strategic statement. Uh, from Robert's perspective, trying to reclaim the dignity of the court, this investigation has, seems to have only made everything worse for everybody mm -hmm. on his end. Yeah. 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 Couldn't have happened to a more deserving institution. <laughs> Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at CalidusAI.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. 
there's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network. Available wherever podcasts are found. All right. So, uh, you know what time it is? And it's not really this Howdy time. Howdy duty time? It's not. Oh, oh wow. So, you, we're going to keep go further going back. further I go back. further back. All right. Okay. So, then with, with <laughs> you that, did not expect a 50s reference right there, I did, did not you? Yeah. I did not so but it's not really related to this but it's enough that we can use our favorite sound effect playoffs don't talk about playoffs <laughs> you kidding me playoffs I, I do love that sound effect. it is great right it is definitely my favorite oh yeah all right so layoffs uh this is not yep. really about layoffs but it's about uh Goodwin who we talked about mm-hmm. their layoffs before it's a new wrinkle in that. Yeah. So we previously talked about Goodwin laid off a bunch of people, including a bunch of attorneys. I think about 90 attorneys were laid off. And then not even a month later, they turn around and are adding large amounts of attorneys from Pepper. Troutman. Troutman Pepper. Mm-hmm. Which is very interesting. Now, of course, and I've gotten a lot of back channels on this particular story saying, well, this makes sense because they need to diversify their book of business. And I'm sure the attorneys that are moving over have a very desirable book. And I'm sure that, you know, Goodwin is looking forward to adding those numbers to their ledger. Great for them. But there's something about the, the feel of it, right? That on one hand, you're laying off people and on the other, you're bringing a bunch of new folks in, right? Yeah. It, it shows you how disposable and how cog-like associates are really thought of at a firm because it's about the role that you've been assigned and whether or not that role is useful. It's not about your ability as an attorney as much as it is how you plug into the pre-existing system. Yeah, so the this Troutman group uh, is is more of a life science kind of right. related group. So, I, I, from my my takeaway of it was that it's a real testament to something that we've been saying about these layoffs a lot, which is we we both I think we're both on record as saying these layoffs do not feel like prior layoffs, like mm-hmm. the Great Recession layoffs. These are not across the board. They seem to be very targeted, focused on a few practice areas that are having trouble. And this kind of compounds that. We saw a bunch of folks who operate in certain inve- certain corporate areas of business, mm-hmm. you know, venture capital, investment, and stuff like that, which areas where things are a little bit slower given the economy and, more importantly, the Fed's war on it vis-a-vis interest <laughs> rates. But other areas like investing in life sciences technology booming right now, given that every pandemic in the world is kind of quasi happening at once, <laughs> that world is still making money. And so it, my takeaway was what we've said before, is this is not a broad-based economic downturn within the legal sector. This is very practice-by-practice-based uh, readjustment, which is not 
you know, doesn't give a lot of solace to the people who lost their jobs here, right. but it does suggest that this is not the long-term implosion that we've had in the I past. agree. I think it, it's, yeah, it's good for the industry. It's good for Goodwin. But as someone who in my lifetime has been, you know, laid off and, you know, in 2009 and part of these larger recession mm-hmm. movements, it, you have to imagine it's kicking someone while they're down, right? Because it's, it's like, well, you, your practice area isn't good enough. It becomes more personalized. It becomes more dejected, you know, dejecting. It's, I think that it would really suck to feel like not only is your firm laying you off, but they're bringing new people in. It's like, oh, you just needed my office space, I guess. Yeah. Well, that said, we we have been supportive not supportive. Uh, we we have we have credited Goodwin along yeah. with Cooley for being upfront about what's happening. That isn't always the case. Right. Sometimes people are let go and told that it's yes. basically made to believe it's their fault right. that they lost their job as, as opposed, opposed to, to the economy. partners. Listen, yeah. layoffs, pure layoffs are always superior to stealth layoffs. Stealth mm-hmm. layoffs are when they try to blame it on performance reviews or blame the associate as opposed to larger economic conditions, which, you know, coincidentally are happening when your performance suddenly and out of nowhere (laughs) is a problem. It's like, really? I've been here for five years and I've gotten great reviews until this moment. Right. Anyway. uh, That's definitely true. I don't want to take anything away from the way that Goodwin conducted those layoffs. I think they were as good as they could be in that moment. But I, but I do feel for associates. No, definitely. And I it is it is weird though that they even though, you know, this is a sector by sector thing, it it there is a little bit of chutzpah involved in yeah. laying people off and then immediately turning around and announcing like like just as a press matter like you know, sometimes that publicity is not the publicity you need right yet. You well, know? in fairness, I don't think Goodwin actually has officially announced it yet. It was leaked from the Pepper Hamilton not, not Pepper, I'm sorry, Chapman Pepper uh, side. See, that's of, also an old reference. Yeah, also also oh, yeah, an old yeah. reference here. No, but I believe it It came out as a result of them leaving Troutman as opposed to Goodwin being excited to announce the, the uh, new folks. That's how it became public, but certainly accurate. Yeah. All right. So. So, how you doing? I'm good. Uh, you know, just watching the clock here as we record, make mm-hmm. sure I don't, you know, go over like you know billing 277 hours to review 20 documents or anything like that that is wild yeah that is wild i think we might have talked about this story when it came up in Mm -hmm. the first instance uh there was a denton's associate who was let go after it came out that they had billed 277 hours to a 425 document document review despite having only opened 20 of those documents over that whole time Mm -hmm. Uh, that makes for a whopping like 14 hours per document which you know is a sign of some problems (laughs) anyway the bar has issued some discipline uh it's Mm -hmm. just a 30 day it's a 60 day technically but after 30 days it's stayed a 30 day license suspension uh given a lot of the mitigating circumstances of first offense and all that uh the associate says that it was just a lot of stress and depression and anxiety that was pushing this for which they have gotten you know and and they never intended to not look at them they just it was kind of one of those situations where they would bill and say, I'll catch up, I'll catch up over the weekend and then right, it will and be I won't bill all for that good. time. And- yeah, and just never did. 
you know, and that's that's fine. I've always argued this story as less a story about the associate who, you know, was going through stuff, whatever, as one about the firm and mm-hmm. technology, because my bugaboo there here. There you go. And just how is it that it took the firm like three months <laughs> to figure this out? And the firm says, oh, we didn't bill any, we didn't bill the client for any erroneous time, which means you didn't send out bills for three months? Come on, man. Uh, Listen, I, I, we don't know the client. Perhaps they're on a quarterly billing system. Who knows? But, but you know, this this kind of thing happens in a world where you're only reviewing documents in boxes. Mm. So talk about another old-fashioned yeah, reference yeah. right there. But, you know, when you had to make your way up to document storage floor of the firm and get the key to get in the room and you were just alone by yourself in a, you know, dark area going through box after box Mm -hmm. you know and if the firm doesn't catch that that makes sense right Right? there's you know there's no system in place but with the technology that this review existed on it seems wild that it took them this long to catch up yeah and i got a i got an interesting email from somebody complaining that you know i wasn't being sensitive to the idea that you know sometimes documents can take a long time to review to which I say, no. <laughs> For, look, it is possible to have a very thorny, long document, but 14 hours is not really going to be the issue. Now, you did a lot of document I, review I, in your day. Yes. 14 hours on a document. I, it, is it possible? For sure. But it would be something, I think, that was known as a as a, quirk as a of, hot doc or something. N- oh. No, I was thinking more of very long spreadsheets, hundreds, even thousands of pages worth of documents. And particularly if you have to do a production review and a, a certain column or reference has to be redacted, that can take a very long time to get through. Mm. Um, if it's if it's redaction and it's a spreadsheet and, you know, there are different versions of it that are similar, but not identical. So you can't really copy the exact redaction. That can take a while, but that would be something that is known about that particular review. See, I don't, I don't know. Like, I feel like a the, the long spreadsheet idea. I hear that, but I feel like there are tools that deal with that now. Like, it, when it becomes onerous and a bunch of numbers and stuff like that, it's no longer the sort of situation where somebody is billing fourteen hours for it. It is now a situation where tools are utilized to find that information and redact it. Yeah. I'm not saying tools won't make it go faster, but in in and again, it depends on the client, mm-hmm. the way that they use these spreadsheets. Uh, some clients use like wiki style documents, which means edits are made on top of edits, and mm-hmm. these become very long documents very quickly. But a lot of folks use the notes section of where, oh, it just looks like numbers. It's nothing I need to redact here. This isn't privilege. And then all of a sudden it turns out an attorney ha- is column three. And made all the notes about it. And you don't necessarily know. And you have to go figure out like what that's in reference to, what their role on that particular matter. If it's just about a financial thing, then that may not be privileged. But if there's there's I can see a document taking a long time, maybe not 14 hours. But again, who knows if it's 3000, 10,000 pages, who knows? But but again, that is that is a quirk of a particular review that is absolutely known ahead of time mm, because yeah. they're giant to even download, right? Yeah. No, I mean, I hear that. I, I don't know. It just strikes me that the once a document crosses the level of complexity where it could plausibly have taken a human being 14 hours to get through, it has now entered an area where in the 
I mean, we've we've had now computer assisted review for, yeah. you know, 15 yeah. years or so now. Yeah. I've used it. I get it. <laughs> yeah, I feel I like it. it enters a point there where that is not the kind of review that's happening anymore. Again, I've seen things, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I will say that that is not what happened here very clearly. And that's the sort of thing that theoretically the firm would have known. Right. That's too, yes. Which, yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yes. At least before three months. Yeah. And again, that's the sort of thing where as an associate, if you're noticing that it's taking you this long because of whatever intricacies of that particular document population, that's something you alert a supervisor to, right? You you tell the other associates on the case, you tell the junior partner, you say, hey, just so you know, these documents are ginormous. We have to do the following kinds of redactions on them. Just want to make sure you're aware. Maybe it makes sense to tag them as a review for later and continue with the rest of the review so that we can get things out the door or, you know, and that may be a junior's role to do that, too. But it is also a senior's role to be keeping an eye on that. Like when somebody has taken 28 hours and only gotten through two documents, that's when you begin the conversations of, is there some reason this is happening? Right, right. I mean, I think certainly on a week by week basis, you should have some sense of what's going on on your document review if you're in a supervisory capacity at all. Yeah. So that's why I that's why even, you know, I, I view the the individual story as more of a tragic story. And I view the firm wide story as more of a less, a lesson to be learned by mm-hmm. other firms to not find this happen again, uh, that there are, there's tech out there anyway. Cool. That you should be using. I'm sure they actually had the tech, well, but that, actually keeping track of it is a different story. Adoption is, yeah. <laughs> is the watchword. I'm sure it exists. Let's yeah. be clear. I, I'm not sure it's being utilized the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. If you wanted to hear people talk about how important adoption is all the time, you could also check out the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable, hey! which is a show that I am a guest on. You are. Yeah. Every week. If you want, yeah, Indeed, every yeah. week. And if you wanted to hear more about other issues. Yeah, you can check out the Jabot. Oh, that's a show about that about diversity you in the law. Yeah. Right. It's a great so, little show. And you can check out other shows on the Legal Talk Network that you and I don't happen to be on all the mm-hmm. time. So there we go. If you want to hear more of these sorts of stories, you can always read about them on AboveTheLaw.com. You could. You, you could. You also follow ATL blog on Twitter. That's true. I'm on Twitter at Catherine1. You're at Joseph Patrice. That's right. Good stuff. You should subscribe to this show if you haven't already and leave a review. Say something nice. Put some stars. All of that helps more people Find end us up as the Legal Podcast. Show. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And yeah, with all of that said, I think we're done and uh, we will be, be back, back next, next week. week. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.